Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our desire is to worship you, to see you honored and glorified in our life, in the lives of others. And Lord, as we study and learn that more, Father, I pray that um, our hearts will be filled uh, with a desire to give you the praise that, that you deserve. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're in Advent, a uh, series in, in Advent. Advent, you know, is the, the four Sundays uh, before Christmas, and it's a time where we uh, both remember and look forward to the coming of Christ. And so in the first Advent, they were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. Uh, but we also are in a season of Advent because we are waiting for the second return of Christ, when, whenever that will be. Um, with Advent, there are, you know, we typically do the, the four candles, and there's tradition around that, and they, they typically represent, you know, like peace or joy, or there's the shepherd's candle or Mary's candle or that kind of thing. But for this year, we, we broke from that tradition um, because as I was working on this sermon series, looking at different characters, looking at, at what Luke had to share with us about Advent, um, the things that I, that I was drawn to weren't really didn't really kind of match the, the tradition, the traditional ones, and so we changed it up a bit. So for the, the, the first Sunday, we actually looked at Jesus talking about when he would come, come again. And we looked at and really understood that how Christmas is probably one of the best reminders for us as Christians that he is coming again. Like this is one of the best reminders that just in the way that that pre-Christ, that they were in a season of Advent, we are in a season of Advent, as we also sit and wait. And so, so we did the candle of hope. Then we looked at Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna were um, two people, um, man and woman, um, elderly, um, full of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus shows up at the temple just as a baby, the Holy Spirit told both of these people, that is the Savior, that is the Christ. And both of them show up, approach these parents, and, and give praise and, and offering and tell people about it. And just their, their remarkable life that Simeon and Anna had. And so we had the, the candle of faith. Last week we talked about Mary and the angel coming and talking to her and all these things. And the thing that I was so drawn to in that was Mary's trust. Uh, her trust in the Lord, her, her trust of the angels, and so we had the candle of trust. In preparation for this week, I've been drawn to the shepherds, but primarily that last line about how the shepherds responded in worship. I think that is just so remarkable, and, and that's what I want to unpack with you today. Um, as long as my voice holds out, we've, we've been going through the cold uh, in, in our household. Um, so, but looking, so we had the candle of worship and looking at the, the shepherds. It is... Um, Something I didn't realize really until this week. It's fascinating because the Gospel of Luke really has an emphasis on worship that the other Gospels don't have. Really, only Matthew and Luke give us the Christmas story, and they approach it from, from different angles. But in Matthew's account, when it comes to worship, Matthew tells us that Herod lied about worship. He said that he wanted to worship the Christ child, but he didn't. He wanted to kill the Christ child. And, it tell, and, and Matthew tells us that 
Um, the wise men worship the Christ child, but that's it. Like, he, he doesn't give us the words or he doesn't unpack it. Like, they just get a sentence or two. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that Mary worshipped, and then he gives us the words that, that, that she worshipped with. Luke tells us that Zachariah worshipped, and then he gives us the words that, that Zachariah said when he worshipped. Luke tells us that Simeon worshipped, and we have those words that he said. Um, uh, Luke tells us that the angels worshipped, and we have the actual words that they said. Um, he also tells us that Anna worshipped and the shepherds worshipped, um, but we don't get the actual kind of like verbatim what they said, other than that they just, that they worshipped. So if you want to look at worship as it pertains to the coming of Christ, the Gospel of Luke is your go-to. Like, he, he brings an emphasis on worship that the, others, that the others don't. Let me read this passage to you. Um, I'm in Luke 2. I'm in verses 8 through 20. And we're going to unpack this a, a little bit and then focus in on that, that last verse. Uh, so Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want to unpack that story just a little bit before we really kind of zone in on, on that last verse, just because context matters and context helps. Um, in the same region, there are shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Group of shepherds, they would be out for uh, days, maybe weeks at a time. Um, some of them are on night watch. Um, back then, shepherds were the lowest rung um, in society. Their, their job, their, their profession, um, it just it kept them away from the temple and the synagogue, and, and they were ceremonial, unclean. That, that was a big thing back then. But God picks them to receive this good news, right? Because they, they weren't looking for it. They were just minding their own business, and then an angel shows up and just, yeah. Um, why he chose them, I, we may never know the, the fullness of that. It's neat, though, because there, there are actually some pretty neat implications on this. One is that it sends a clear message that the good news is for everybody, right? Because if the good news comes to the lowest of the low, then surely it's for everybody. If it had come to high ranking, then there may have been a presumption, well, this is only for the high ranking. But when it comes to the low, then it's like, hey, I think this is for everybody. It may be 
too, that there was just, I mean, the character of these men. Maybe they were just, um, their, their hearts were close to God, and, and God knew that they would respond this way. Um, maybe they just already had a love for the Lord. That's part of it. The other thing, too, is that Jesus repeatedly used the analogy of shepherds in his life and talking about the church and him and, and his role. And so this shepherd theme really goes throughout the whole life uh, and ministry of Jesus. So there is a consistency there. Verse 9 tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with, with great fear. It's a little bit amusing to me because sometimes people will talk big about like what they're going to say or what they're going to do when they meet God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, see how that plays out for you. Anytime in Scripture an angel, just an angel, shows up in like unfiltered, unhindered, this is who I am glory, like the humans can't handle it. They're always falling over as dead. They're always collapsing. They're always great fear, right? It's only when angels like hold back and, and kind of hide their glory that, that the humans can handle it. But like unfiltered angels, like humanity can't handle it. They're always collapsing and falling over and, and, and that kind of thing, falling down as dead. So one angel appears, and then it says, and, and the Greek on that is like standing there amongst them, right? He's not like up in the sky, like it's like, like he's right there, like he's in the midst. The glory of the Lord shines all around them, and they're absolutely terrified. And, and when you read enough of these stories, you're like, yeah, that's kind of what happens, absolutely terrified. And then the angels always have to open up with this line, fear not, right? Like they're having to say that all the time. So the angel says this, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing claws and lying in a manger. Lot there that, that we could unpack. Um, again, the angel opens with, with fear not. Um, as Jewish men, they probably would have been familiar with prophecies about a Savior and a Messiah coming, and, and so that this would have been familiar to them. This is not unknown language. And you know this phrase, good news of great joy for all people who is born this day, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, we can, we can celebrate and honor that now. But I think one day in heaven, when we see the uh, millions, billions of people, every tribe, every tongue, every race, worshiping the Lord, I think at that moment we will understand this line in a whole new way. I mean, we can honor it now, but the fullness of what that means, I don't even think our, our minds can... I don't think our imaginations have the capacity to really go there until we see that, that firsthand when, when we're all before the, the throne of Christ. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we go from one angel to multitude. Other places where this word multitude is used, um, it's typically referring to hundreds or often thousands of whatever it is that we're talking about. So, we go from one to, at minimum, hundreds, probably several thousand um, 
angels talking, singing, doing this chorus thing. Honestly, I don't know how any of the shepherds remain conscious. Um, it, like, if, like, if one lays you down flat, I can't imagine what a few thousand does. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know how any of them survived that, really, um, just with, with that moment. The angels went away into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened. They went with haste. They found Mary, Joseph, and the baby. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So I, we don't know how many other people were perhaps gathered there, but the shepherds shared it. And this is such a beautiful line. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love that word, treasured. Uh, I mean, people are talking about it, and they're trying to figure out. But mom treasures it, right? She, she saves them. She ruminates on them. She ponders them. She thinks about them. What could this mean for her son? How would this play out? Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And that's the, the verse I really want to explore with you today. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. And they had heard and seen a lot that night, right? They heard angels. They heard the good news. A Savior is born. They heard that this was going to be for all people. They heard very specific instructions on what to look for and, and where to find it. They heard angels worshiping. They heard a newborn baby cry. And they saw a lot. They saw one angel. They saw hundreds, probably thousands of angels. The angels gave them instructions, and then they saw all of it come true. They're like, you said this, and yes, we found it. We saw it. They saw Mary and Joseph and, and, and the baby. The shepherds were, for lack of a better term, loaded up on personal experience that fueled and fired their, their worship. Personal experience, like positive personal experience where, where you experience something that like that, I think is one of the, the easiest um, kindlings for the fire of worship. Right? You saw something, you experienced something, you witnessed something. Um, back when I was training for missions, like that was fun. We had young adults, and they were experiencing things for the first time. They were hearing things, they were seeing things, they, they were lear learning things. And so worship was very easy in that context, right? Like that really fueled their worship. Wor worship flowed easily. Um, summer camp, same thing, right? Young people, they experience things for the first time. It, it fuels their worship. So I'm all in on, on experiences like that. I think that is fantastic for all ages. You know, anything that can, can kind of get us out of our routine that helps us experience God, right? Experience God and, and miracles and evangelism and baptisms and, and personal ministry. I love all of that because worship flows very easily out of that. When you hear and see something, it just makes worship a lot easier. And the shepherds were blessed because that was given to them, right? They weren't looking for it. They were just minding their own business. And then the angels showed up. And so for those that are in that space, coming out of that space, 
there's all this just kind of easy kindling for worship. However, in the day-to-day grind of life, that is not always the case. And I find it fascinating to contrast the shepherds with the wise men. Um, Matthew tells us about the wise men. He says this, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then later on, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Lots of redundancy there. Going into the house, so this is probably at a later date, went into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I have a lot of respect for the wise men. Um, They knew something was going on simply because they were attentive to their surroundings. Right? Like, the shepherds just had it handed to them. Right? Like, the Shepherds weren't looking for anything, but they just, they just got, you know, they just got it handed to them. But the wise men were seeking it out, right? Like, they saw something that, like, thousands of other people missed because they were attuned to, to their surroundings. And because of that, then, they saw that, then they then had, I don't know, the boldness, the courage, the, the faith, the, the gumption to load up a whole caravan and travel east who knows how long, probably with a security escort carrying that much gold and all that other stuff, traveling great distance so that they could worship. One of the things I love about our our vacation Bible school curriculum is talking about God sightings. And God sightings are where you intentionally look for God working and moving in your surroundings, whether it be in nature or something that happened in your life or something you read, right? I mean, like, you know, the, the truth of God obviously is found in Scripture, but, but we can also see God working and, and moving around us. But God's sightings are not something that come naturally to us. They're something that we have to train ourselves for. Like, that's something that you have to practice. That's a skill you have to develop. You have to consciously say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally look for God working and moving among us. My mom, God bless her, is amazing at this. Um, she's one of the best I know at this. Just seeing God working, moving, places where other people would have missed, seeing it and believing that, that God is work. Your life will be filled with coincidences, right? The idea that something just by luck or by chance or a sense of randomness just happened, and no one planned it. Evaluate those carefully. Yeah, maybe it was luck. Maybe it was accidental. Or maybe God was at work, and we need to acknowledge it, right? Because this also fuels our worship. When we worship because we see God working moving, and so we train ourselves in just the day-to-day grind of life. We train ourselves to look for and recognize how is God at work around us. I think it's fascinating sometimes to look at the effort required by God to do something. Genesis tells us 
that God created the world and the universe and the stars and the galaxy from nothing by speaking. Spoken word, right? That's breathing like with a little bit of lip movement. And all the galaxies come into being. I mean, the guy just exhaled. And like, here it is. Um, at one point in the New Testament, Jesus is doing ministry, and he talks about the kingdom of God is, is upon you when, when you see demons cast out, um, driven out by the finger of God, right? You know, like that's, like that's this, right? Like demons, the, the thing that can be problematic and whatnot, like, like, Jesus, like it's, it's like a finger twitch for the Lord, right? Even in Revelation, when it's, when it's time to bind up Satan, God doesn't even do it himself. He sends the help to go do it, right? Like, I mean, he, he literally just sends one or two other angels to go fetch Satan, bind him up in chains, and throw him in a pit. God doesn't even bother with that doing it himself. Other angels do it. But salvation. Jesus comes as a baby, vulnerable, small, entirely dependent, lives on earth for 30 years, does another three years, teaching, healing, proclaiming, dealing with difficult people, right? Then we end with death on a cross and crucifixion and then resurrection, also that, as Ephesians describes it, you and I can be adopted. And I love that you, had, that you shared that on adopted. Adopted. No more questions about who do I belong to. No more questions about who's going to take care of me. No more questions about what is my identity. No more questions about what is my purpose or my heritage or my future or my family. No more questions about who will love me. No more questions about what will I fight for or what's my purpose in life. All of that given to us through the gift of adoption through the gift of salvation. And that was not an exhale and that was not a twitching of the finger. That was 33 years followed by death on a cross. If you look at effort required by God to get something done, like by far and away, that is the greatest. And that alone should elicit all kinds of worship and praise. Like, I mean, if you're ever hard-pressed to find a reason, you got one right there. And that should probably last us a few centuries. All of us have reason to worship, right? Sometimes it's easy because some personal experience has warmed us up to it and it's, it's just, it's there, right? Sometimes we have to look for God moving and working and so it's a skill that we practice and develop, but we see God working and moving and we respond in worship but at the end of the day, the whole salvation, Emmanuel, God with us, God coming as human baby form, all of that right there is reason to worship. Now here's a hard thing about worship, but it needs to be said, just because we're on this. Despite our circumstances, worship is always a fitting response. Even when things are really, really hard, worship is a fitting response. Because worship is about God's character, not where I'm at in life. To this day, I remember watching Ron Taves worship at his own son's funeral. I have no idea how he did it. 
Um, Nate was young, mid-20s, married, left behind a widow. Um, the church was so full, they actually had to put some of us on the stage. And I was on this part of the stage, and I had a direct view of the family. And I have no idea how, how Ron managed to do that. Um, emotionally, I don't know how we got through that. Cognitively, like I can say, you know, yeah, worship is always fitting. But it, I, that, that boggles my mind. But worship is about God's character, not our circumstances, right? His character doesn't change. Who he is doesn't change. Our circumstances, all over the place, ups and downs. Our emotions, ups and downs. We experience pain. We experience joy all over the place. But God's stability means that worship is always appropriate. Um, in Scripture, right? Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas are in prison. And, it, and completely unjustified. There's this girl following him around who's demonically possessed, and they free the girl from this demon, and, but she was a slave, and then the slave owners get mad, and so they bring up all these false charges against them and rally up a crowd. They get thrown in prison. They're beaten up. I mean, like, if you want, like, unfair imprisonment, like, this checks all the boxes, right? Like, there's nothing but wickedness in that, in them getting imprisoned, okay? Nothing justified. They did great things, and they got thrown in prison for it. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Based on personal experience and how life was going so far, like, they had no reason to worship, right? They didn't even know if they were going to survive this. They'd already been beaten up. But if worship is truly based on God's character and not our mood and not our personality style, then he is always worthy of worship. Sometime in the new year, I, I want to do another sermon on worship. Um, Christine has our, our, the, the worship team going through a book called Holy Roar. Fascinating book. In the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, there's actually... I think it's seven different Hebrew words, but they all get translated as praise. And so we miss kind of that fuller spectrum of what's getting talked about, right? Like you've probably talked about how there's like different words for love, but we just have love because, I don't know, apparently the English language is really bland and has no spice to it. But so we've got these seven Hebrew words that all get translated as praise. And some mean to shout and some mean a new song and outstretched arms and all this other kind of stuff. So sometime in the new year, we're going to do that and unpack that in a sermon or two. I love how the shepherds returned praising God for what they had seen and heard. And, and that was absolutely the, the proper, fitting response. And I think it's a great example to us, even an inspiration to us. Like we said, sometimes worship is easy. We're coming off a good experience, and it just flows out. Sometimes we have to work on it. We're, we, we train ourselves to look for where God is at work, and then from that, worship flows. But at the end of the day, the truth of Scripture tells us that we were saved, and we were adopted, and, and that alone should feed our worship for, for centuries to come. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We honor you. We glorify you. And Lord, we want to do more of it because you are deserving of it. Not because we're in the mood, but because you are deserving of it. Lord, I pray that, that you would fill us with worship. 
um, that at times worship would be easy, and Lord, when it's not, that we would still give you worship because you are deserving of that. And Lord, we are so grateful for Advent, for God with us, and that you came to save us and for the adoption that you provided. We love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.